open up to Exodus chapter 30, verse 22. We just finished the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, and it was a it was a long study, somewhat grueling at times. I've actually have had a few people this week come up to me and say, I am glad that's over. It's convicting, it's challenging, isn't it, to look at those and to recognize how far we often miss the mark when it comes to God's perfect holiness and His commands. Well, this morning I've got really good news for you. We're going to skip ten chapters to chapter 30 in the book of Exodus. And I want to share with you something very interesting, something that caught my eye about three weeks ago, and I told the Wednesday night crowd that we're going to have to wait uh, until a Sunday coming up to talk about this, because I wanted everybody to hear this. And uh, I think it's, it's very applicable to where we are, and it's fascinating reading. So let's begin Exodus chapter 30 and verse 22. Just follow along. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying... Take also for yourself the finest of spices, of flowing myrrh, 500 shekels, and of fragrant cinnamon, half as much, 250, and of fragrant cane, 250, and of cassia, 500, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and of olive oil, a hen. You shall make of these a holy anointing oil, a perfume mixture, the work of a perfumer, it shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting, that is the tabernacle, and the ark of the testimony, and the table and all its utensils, and the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering, and all its utensils, and the labor and its stand. You shall also consecrate them, that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them shall be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may minister as priests to me. You shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generation. It shall not be poured on anyone's body, nor shall you make any like it in the same proportion. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever shall mix any like it, or whoever puts any of it on a layman, or literally a, a foreigner, or a stranger, shall be cut off from his people. And Father, this morning I pray that you would give us clear insight into your words clarity of thought and encouragement Father this is wonderful news for us this whole concept of the anointing oil and how it is revealed throughout scripture may we see these things and be drawn closer to Jesus because of them the Holy Spirit we ask again that you teach us that we would listen to you and your voice and Father that you would do what you want to do with us this morning and that we may only have ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jerusalem was packed out for the annual Feast of the Tabernacles. In fact, it was a feast that Jesus originally wasn't going to go up to at all. He told his disciples, no, my time has not yet come. You guys go on up. But, but Jesus couldn't help himself. And a few days later, he came up to the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And about midway through the feast, he began to teach and began to speak. And people were believing in him and people were being drawn to him, as often was the case when Jesus taught. But it's interesting, he got to a place in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, I'll just read this to you. It tells us Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But they answered him. 
We're Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? And I'm surprised that Jesus didn't break into a chorus here of don't know much about history. Because as anyone who's been enslaved has known slavery, has known bondage in history, it was the Jewish people. And yet here they're saying, we haven't been enslaved to anyone. What do you mean free? Uh, let me recap. Have they forgotten the 400 years of slavery, of bondage in Egypt? Or the fact that Israel was demolished and enslaved by the Assyrians? Had they forgotten that Judah was taken into Babylonian captivity for 70 years? Or how the Persians came, and then the Greeks came, and then finally Rome came? And even at the time that they were saying they were not enslaved, the Jewish people, all Judea, was in the stranglehold of Rome. They had lost all sovereignty. They were not in control of their lives. They were in bondage. In fact, Rome eventually, come AD 70, would destroy Jerusalem. If by 8135 will have driven all of the Jews, except for a scant few, dispersed all throughout the world, not even allowed to return to the homeland that they so loved and so believed was there in all their freedom. They said, hey, we've never been enslaved to anyone. Well, Jesus could have pointed to history, but he wasn't talking about history. He was talking about reality. Verse 34, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. So the truth is, Israel's history of slavery was a moot point. It was beside the point. The point was, as far as Jesus was concerned, not historical. It was not national. It was not political. It was personal. You are in bondage to sin. And Jesus, with those words in mind, had just finished saying, You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Verse 35, He went on and said, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. As we begin tonight, or today, I want to ask you, do you, in this place in your life, right now, feel like you're in a stranglehold? Is there a sin in your life that is suffocating you? Are you enslaved to some desire, to some passion, to, to something going on in your life you can't break free of? Have you, over the last several weeks of reading through the Ten Commandments, just realized how imperfect you are? And have you wondered, what in the world am I supposed to do about that? Now hear this. Jesus has come to set you free. He has come to set you free. Galatians 5.1, Paul writes, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. You have been set free for freedom's sake. And not from some thing in history, but from sin in your life. If you are in Christ, you have been set free. Again, we've spent... Several grueling weeks in the Ten Commandments, peering into the perfect law, realizing it is impossible to live by these laws, to be perfect before God. And so again, I can think of no better follow-up study than to be able to say this morning, Jesus has come to set you free. Now you may say, well that's wonderful news, Rick, but what in the world does that have to do with the anointing oil you read about in Exodus 30? I'm glad you asked. Go back to Exodus 30 and let's take a look. In fact, just keep a finger there for a moment. You know the story. 
there is a connection. You're familiar with it. We've read it many times in here. Immediately after Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, the Bible tells us, Luke, Dr. Luke says, he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he picked up the scroll, was handed the scroll of Isaiah, and he began to read. And this is what he read. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 tells us, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus said, listen up, Jesus made it clear, the Lord anointed me for liberty. He is the anointed one, and that's the connection. Isaiah's prophecy of the Lord's anointed in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And 750 years later, Jesus takes this prophecy, he claims it as his own. I am the Lord's anointed one. It's me. That's what this prophecy is about. I'm the person it's pointing you to. Which is interesting because Jesus' own name speaks clearly of this. His name speaks of the fact that he is anointed. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua Mashiach. In Greek, Jesus Christos. And in English, Jesus Christ. But Christ isn't his last name. He wasn't known as Mr. Christ. Christ literally means... Jesus, the anointed one. The anointed one. Now think about this this morning. There are three groups of people in the Old Testament who were anointed with holy, holy oil. Which I remind you portrays the Holy Spirit. In fact, the oil of anointing throughout Scripture is always a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. The three people who were anointed were the, the prophets and the kings and the priests. Listen to this. Jesus is all three. He is prophet and king and priest. He is the anointed prophet. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15. Moses is speaking to the people. And he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, oh, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. And the Lord said, They've spoken well. Now we just talked about this. The whole of the Ten Commandments was given from Mount Horeb, from what we call Mount Sinai, to the people who were encamped below. When the Ten Commandments were first given, the people weren't, well, the people weren't up on the mountain. Moses wasn't up on the mountain. He was with the people in the valley surrounding the mountain, and it was from there that they heard thundering from Sinai the Ten Commandments. And their response to it, as we saw last week, was, Oh, Lord, don't speak to us anymore. Speak through Moses. Moses, tell God to tell you what to tell us. We can't handle his voice. It's terrifying to us. And so later on in Deuteronomy, God says, you know, they spoke well. That was, that was right of them. And he says, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And John 1.14 tells us the word became flesh and dwelled among us. Why did Jesus because become human? Why did God put on flesh? Because we couldn't handle God. And so he became like us. So that we could understand and see him. Well he is the anointed prophet. Spoken of in Deuteronomy 18. Jesus is the anointed king. Revelation 19.16 
at this, the moment of Jesus' glorious appearing is describing him and it says on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the anointed prophet. Jesus is the anointed king. And finally he is the anointed high priest. Hebrews 3.1 tells us that he is called the high priest of our confession. Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Anointed, why? Anointed for what? To set you free. As prophet, to bring the word that sets you free. As king, with the authority to set you free. As priest, doing what had to be done, atoning, to set you free. But we need to understand something, my friends. It's not just freedom from eternal penalty. It is freedom from the immediate power of sin. And this is something I think in Christianity we tend to miss. It's not just the eternal penalty that that we're saved from. Okay, good, I'm not going to go to hell. But my life is still a mess from sin. I guess I'm just going to have to be that way until He comes. Gang, He came to free us from sin now. Immediately. To not walk in sin anymore. To not live a life where I'm just bearing it and carrying it and going, Oh, well, I'm a mess up. I'm a failure. No big deal. I'll be saved. I mean, you can choose to live that way. and, And I believe God's grace is big enough He can still save you. But why would you? Why live in sin when you have died to it? Well, you may wonder, hey, if I've been freed from the immediate power of sin, why do I still struggle with sin? Well, now go back to Exodus chapter 30, verse 22. Again, the Lord is speaking. He says, Take for yourself of the finest of spices, flowing myrrh, 500 shekels and fragrant cinnamon half as much 250 and fragrant cane 250 and of cassia 500 and mix that all together the Bible tells us with a, with a hen of olive oil four ingredients four ingredients placed together in this holy anointing oil and I want you to notice a couple of things maybe three things here about Jesus and about the anointing number one the anointing of Christ is sweet it's sweet These four ingredients listed again are myrrh, cinnamon, fragrant cane, and cassia. And all of these mixed together with olive oil make a very sweet-smelling, fragrant oil of anointing. But why these four particular spices? you think maybe there's something hidden in here? Do you think maybe there's something special about the choice of each one? Or was God just off the cuff saying, well, let's see what smells good out there? Those of you who have studied for a little while, if you've opened the page of the scripture and you've looked a little deeper, you know there's got to be more to it than that. Well, there is. These four particular sweet spices, sweet cinnamon. Cinnamon, interesting, is literally translated. If you take the word and break it down in its original language, it is the appearance of jealousy. Cinnamon means the appearance of jealousy, which actually gives us a picture of Jesus. What? What do you mean? Jesus jealous? How how, how does that work? Well, his disciples probably said the same thing when he was clearing out the temple. And the Bible says in John 2.17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal or literally jealousy for your house will consume me. Cinnamon is the appearance of jealousy. And Jesus is jealous. What is he jealous for? He's jealous for his father's house. Why is Jesus jealous for his father's house? Because the Gentiles in the court outside were watching what was going on and it was his intention that the Gentiles as well as the Jews be saved. Jealous. He's jealous for you. He's jealous for me. He is jealous to free us from the sin that binds us. Cinnamon, the appearance of jealousy. Fragrant cane is also in some translations calamus. Calamus is translated to stand upright. 
to stand upright. Another picture of Jesus, Isaiah 53, 2. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground, and no one, no one has stood upright in the world like Jesus Christ has. 1 John 3, 5 says, In him there is no sin. And 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. To stand upright. Cinnamon and calamus. Number three is cassia. Cassia means literally to stoop or to bow down. To lean down. Philippians 2, verse 6 says, Christ Jesus Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. But of the four spices required for this holy anointing oil, the most interesting to me, the most powerful, is the myrrh. Now, myrrh is a study all by itself, and as a matter of fact, if you want to do so, you can just just trace the word myrrh throughout Scripture and see what it says. See how it's used. It's fascinating. A couple of quick things. Most of you know it was presented to Jesus as a gift at his birth. Baby Jesus was given gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Strange gifts for a baby. Now, just the other night, we were over at Jeff and Penelope D'Angelo's house, and there are numerous gifts for their upcoming baby. Is, is she, has she had that yet? <laughs> oh, hi, Penelope. <laughs> I'm in trouble now. But we were over there, and you know what I did not see? I didn't see any myrrh. Strange, odd gift to give a baby. Gold, well, it might be nice for the parents. What's a kid going to do on, with that? Frankincense, all these items. Very strange. But the myrrh we know was given to Jesus as a baby. It's interesting. The Song of Solomon also talks about myrrh quite a bit as a symbol of love. A symbol of love. I'm not going to read the verses right now, but I'll tell you what. The verses that use myrrh in the Song of Solomon are... Whoo. I mean, these are passionate love verses. But further on in the Bible, John 19.39... Bearing the truth that myrrh is a symbol of love. Jesus' body was wrapped with myrrh as a burial spice. But the most amazing thing to me about myrrh, the most stunning thing to know, and some of you know this, is that for myrrh to to yield its sweet fragrance, it has to be crushed. It's not sweet unless it's crushed. Those makers of of fine perfumes and oils in the Middle East would understand this. Myrrh is a hard rock-like substance, or it hardens. It comes out as a sap. It hardens, and then once it's hardened, it has to be crushed. And when it's crushed, it yields this sweet fragrance. Jesus was sweet. The anointing of Christ is sweet. You notice he's never sour. Jesus was never bitter or cynical. For all of the abuse that he took on earth, even prior to the crucifixion, he still was sweet. He still had a way with people. And even in his death, bitterness was not yielded, but sweet salvation, the forgiveness of sin. And so the anointing oil is sweet like Jesus. But secondly, the anointing oil is also singular. The anointing of Christ is singular. There can be no other. Verse 25 in Exodus chapter 30 tells us, You shall make this holy anointing oil, the work of the perfumer. It shall be holy to you. Holy, specific, set apart for a purpose. Singular. And the anointing of Christ is singular as well. There is no one like Jesus. And we are living in an age, folks, where this is becoming radically obvious as false messiahs abound. It was November 19, 1978, that 913 members of the People's Temple, followers of Jim Jones, 
committed mass suicide by drinking cyanide-laced punch at Joan's command. False Messiah. April 19, 1993, 74 armed members of David Koresh's Branch Davidians died after a 51-day standoff with the FBI. They believed Koresh was God incarnate. You may recall late March of 1997, 39 followers of a man named Marshall Applewhite, a homosexual who claimed that he was Jesus, the Son of God, they all put on Nike tennis shoes, black robes, laid themselves out in their beds, and committed suicide by drinking phenobarbital and vodka. And Jesus said in John 10.8, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. How do you know a false Messiah, a false prophet? They come to steal and kill and destroy and there is no freedom. There is no freedom. Let me just encourage you. In any church setting, be cautious, be careful when a church begins to exert authority over you. When a church begins to wrap you in and say, this is how it will be done. When a church begins to demand a certain amount of of loyalty, be careful. Be careful. Because Jesus came to set you free, not to tie you up, not to bind you down. There is no one like Jesus. The anointing of Christ is singular. Number three, the anointing of Christ. It's sweet, it's singular, but it's also spiritual. Verse 32 tells us that it shall not be poured on anyone's body, nor shall you make any like it. Now, it was poured on Aaron's head. But it wasn't poured on his body, and it wasn't used for fleshly purposes. It wasn't like a perfume. It was like, hey, tabernacle perfume. We're all wearing it now, this oil, it's great, we put it on every morning. The Lord said, no, it is for a specific, singular, sweet, and spiritual purpose. It's spiritual. Now, when we talk about spiritual things uh, in the world today, we have to be a little bit careful again, because there's so much about spirituality that's out there right now. Joe and I were driving along yesterday and we saw a bumper sticker that said spirituality.com. I didn't go there, I, I don't even know what it is, I have no idea. I have a sense. It's probably real funky and inviting and unifies and all kinds of strange things. But gang, the spiritual we're talking about is simply that which is not for the flesh. And the anointing oil was not for the flesh. In the same way, Jesus never walked in the flesh. Oh, he had a physical body, but he was not fleshly. He was not worldly. He was not earthly minded. He was heavenly minded. He dwelt among us, but he was never of the world. I love this verse, Hebrews 1.9. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above all your companions. Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness. Did you know Jesus was the happiest person who ever lived? There is nobody who was happier or more joyful than Jesus. Now you might say, well, I heard that he was the man of sorrows. Yes, but listen, the oil of gladness transcends all circumstance. Jesus is proof positive that there is a way that you can be sorrowful and glad at the same time. That you can be experiencing persecution and be in a place of great joy. That life can be hard. That people can be against you. That you could even be abused and yet be in a place of gladness. How is that possible? The oil of gladness, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, does what man cannot do. It transcends all circumstance. And Jesus is talked about in Hebrews 12 too. It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross 
despising the shame. And so Jesus is the anointing oil fulfilled. He's sweet, he's singular, he is spiritual. And again you may say, great, but what does that have to do with freedom? You're talking about the anointing oil on one hand and freedom on the other hand. Listen closely, this is an awesome verse. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. It's one worth marking in your Bibles. Just a single verse. And before I tell you this, before I read the verse, let me explain something to you. That the Assyrians in the Bible are a picture of something else. The Assyrians were brutal to Israel. The Assyrians were so awful, they, when they took Israel into captivity, they literally took fish hooks and hooked them into the cheeks of the Israelites to drag them across the desert. Bodies of, of people they had conquered were stacked up outside the city of, or the, the capital of Assyria. They were a brutal, warring people, and throughout Scripture, Assyria is a picture of sin in the world, of sin and how it functions. With that in mind, listen to the verse. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27 says, It will be in that day that his burden, the Assyrians, that his burden will be removed from your shoulders and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be broken because of fatness. Great, well, what's that mean? Let's read it again. It will be in that day that his burden will be removed from your shoulders and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be broken because of fatness. Because of fatness. By the way, that word fatness, if you have that in your translation, is a poor translation of the word, for the word is literally anointing. The yoke on your neck, Israel, the yoke of sin will be broken because of the anointing. Because of the anointing. And the yoke itself, interesting, was a cross piece of wood. And this cross piece of wood, this cross piece of wood would be broken by the anointing. The anointing oil. The anointing oil that we've been talking about. Gang, it's the oil of the anointed that breaks the yoke of sin, the cross piece of wood. It is the oil of anointing that breaks sin in your life. Do you get what I'm saying here? Is this a stretch? Stay with me. Listen, Exodus chapter 30 tells us that the high priest was anointed. And the high priest was a picture of Jesus. But there's something you need to not miss. Look at verse 30 in Exodus chapter 30. You shall anoint Aaron, the high priest. So he is the anointed one, at least in Israel. But three words follow that. And his sons. And his sons. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons. For as much as the high priest is a picture of Jesus, as Hebrews tells us, so the priesthood, Aaron's sons, are a type of the church. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6 says, Because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, you are an heir through God. If you have believed in Jesus, if you have handed your life over to Jesus, then you are a son. Male or female alike, you are a son of God. You are, you are drawn in, you are one of God's sons. Not on the level of Jesus. Remember, Jesus is like the high priest. He is the son. But we become adopted, the scriptures say, into the body. Joined to Christ. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 says, You have an anointing from the Holy One. Are you hearing that? You have an anointing from the Holy One. 
I'm going to say it again. You have an anointing from the Holy One. John says, and you all know, the anointing which you receive from Him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as His anointing teaches you all about things, or about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you abide in Him. You have an anointing. What does that mean? I have an anointing? My friends, the power of the Holy Spirit is poured out like the oil of anointing on anyone who comes into Christ, who believes in Christ, who gives their life to Christ. And when that happens, the yoke is broken. The yoke of sin in your life is broken. You have the anointing. How does this work? How can I see this bondage broken? How can I experience it destroyed? How can I be rid of the the sin in my life? How can I really know that sin is rendered powerless? Flip over to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Let's see if we can just create a crack in our assumptions this morning. Our assumption that though we're saved by Christ, and though we are quote-unquote free in Christ, we still are just going to have to kind of struggle along with sin. Oh, there's sin, and there's temptation, but you don't have to live that way. You can be freed. Psalm 133 is a great picture. Beginning in verse 1, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil. What oil? The anointing oil. The precious oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. And coming down upon the edge of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life Forever. Imagine for a moment the head of Aaron, the bearded head of Aaron, and the anointing oil as it's poured on his head begins to drip and trickle down from the top of his head down onto his body. And I want you to write down three things. If you're a note taker, write this. If I'm going to be set free in my body, if I am truly going to be set free, I have to be connected to the head, which is Christ Jesus my Lord. If I'm going to receive the oil of anointing, I have to be connected to the head. And Ephesians 5.23 tells us Christ is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. And there is no other way. And Christians, I'm speaking to us. There is no other way but in Christ to be free from our sin. So why do we pursue other ways? Why do we seek out other places and other opportunities to get ourselves free, to make ourselves feel better, rather than going to Christ? He is the one who frees us from our sin. You cannot, you will not receive the oil of anointing that sets you free apart from the head, which is Christ. But listen, this psalm is not talking about the head of the high priest. The psalm is talking about unity in the body, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And so number two, if I'm going to be set free in my body, I've got to be connected to the body. I've got to be connected to the body if I'm truly going to be set free. And the body is the church of Jesus Christ my Lord. The entire context of Psalm 133 and the anointing talked about there is the unity of brothers and sisters dwelling together, drawn together in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 12.27 says, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. 
Now listen and hear me on this. Fellowshipping with a group of Christians in a church or in a body may have nothing to do with your salvation. You can be saved outside of being connected to a church. But it has everything to do with receiving the oil of gladness in Christ. Being part of a church, being connected to a family of believers. Fellowshipping with other believers has everything to do with receiving the oil of gladness. Now you may say, Rick, if this is a a ploy for church membership, I'm gone. Listen, we don't have church membership here. You can come and go as you please. And the reason there is no church membership is because the experience of the oil of gladness always happens when Christians fellowship with other Christians. And it doesn't matter where you go to church. The fact is we need each other in fellowship. We need to be connected to the body. Connected the head, which is Christ, to the body, which is His church. And finally, number three, if I'm freed by the anointing, I will bring, and check this out, I will bring sweet refreshment to the land. Verse 3 says it's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. If I have been anointed by the Lord, that anointing continues out from me and is not limited to me. What exactly does this mean? Last verse, Psalm or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 10. Acts 10. Let me read this to you. Beginning in verse 38, Peter is in an interesting place for a Jewish Christian in the day. You see, at this point, when the church first began, it was all about the Jews. At least that's what they thought. They had no concept that the church was actually going to spread out beyond Israel. But God was already at work. And He gave Peter a dream. A strange dream of vision. And responding to that vision, Peter went to see a man named Cornelius. Well, now he's with Cornelius, a Gentile, an outsider. And he's speaking with Cornelius' family. And this is what he says. Acts 10.38 You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. And God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us, saying, Priest to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Now watch this. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised, that is the Jewish people there, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to stay on for a few days. Who was it that Peter was preaching to at the moment this happened? It was Gentiles. It was outsiders. And this is huge. There was a massive turning point in this moment for the church, for the early church. It was here that they began to see God wanted to anoint the outsiders. That the anointing wasn't just for the insiders, just for those huddled together It wasn't just for the Israelite Christians. God wanted to anoint the outsider. He he wanted the dew of Hermon to water all the land. 
and not just a localized area. Gang, the anointing that frees you from the power of sin and bondage comes from the head, Jesus Christ. It's experienced that oil of gladness in the body, the church, but it is also refreshment and salvation for a dry and thirsty land. I want to give you a quote here. This is again from Oswald Chambers. And he writes, The continual grubbing on the inside to see whether we are what we ought to be generates a self-centered, morbid type of Christianity. How often do you come to church and as you sit down you're not feeling real good about yourself? How often when you begin to pray is the first word out of your mouth, Lord, I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) It's been a long time. How often when you approach the Bible or the Lord at all, do you approach in kind of that tentative, careful, cautious, I love you, Lord, are we still okay? (laughs) You and I? I, am I really forgiven? Chambers says, the continual grubbing on the inside to see whether we are what we ought to be generates a self-centered, morbid type of Christianity, not the robust, simple life of the child of God. Launch out into reckless belief that your redemption is complete, that your freedom is real, and then bother no more about yourself, but do as Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Jesus went about healing, teaching, loving other people. He went about doing good. And you know what's interesting? You can rarely find a moment in Jesus' public ministry that he evangelized. You don't see Jesus going hut to hut knocking on people's doors. You don't see him moving through and sitting down and, and, and trying. He, he never passed out tracts a single time. What did Jesus do? He loved people. He was good. The oil of gladness with which he was anointed dripped off of him and got on to other people. And it was spread By simply being who he was, he allowed the anointing oil of of gladness to drip like sweet morning dew on those around him. The impact, the power of that day of just living complete in Christ is what we're talking about. If you are in Christ, listen, the work is done, it's complete. You have been set free from sin. You don't have to choose to sin anymore. You don't have to. You're not required because you're in the flesh, because you're human. You are not required to continue sinning that grace may abound. Paul says, should we do that? By no means. We've died to it. Why do we keep living in it? You have received the anointing of Christ. It is the oil of gladness. It comes from Christ. It is experienced in the body. But it is not just to stay there. It's to water all the lands. We're free in Christ. We are free in Christ. We are not bound by the law. You are not a slave to sin any longer. And if there is sin in your life that you're struggling with, maybe you just need to come back to the head, to Jesus. Say, Lord, I need to be anointed by you. I can't do this. We all know that. We all know we're not up to the challenge, but His Spirit, when He anoints us, frees us from those things that would try to shackle us and tie us down. And so my prayer for you this morning is if you feel enslaved that you would find freedom in Christ Jesus. That you would walk in that freedom. And by the way, not walking in that freedom so that every day you can wake up and test it and say, am I free? Am I really free? Am I really free? No. You're free to tell other people about the freedom. But I'm watching that that slideshow and looking especially at Danny's face as he came out of the water. 
as he's holding his little daughter the smile on there that is the oil of gladness the oil of anointing on a man who has been set free from the sin which so easily entangles and I want to tell you one last verse it's Hebrews chapter 12 the writer says let us then throw off the sin which so easily entangles us and fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God that you might be free Father you Jesus you said the sun sets you free you are free indeed and what an awesome thought it is Lord that I don't come into a place to clean up my act that Christianity isn't about me being this perfect person it's about accepting the freedom that you gave me at the cross it's about walking as an anointed child a son in the house one who who need not question am I saved am I good enough Am am, am I really yours Lord but a free man who knows that I am complete in you Christ Jesus this morning Lord we just come before you the anointed one and I pray Lord for a fresh anointing upon us to recognize the wonder and the beauty of that freedom and to walk in it if you've never given your life to Christ this is what he wants for you he wants you to be free And if you desire the freedom that can only come through Him, through the price He paid on the cross, if you want that freedom, would you this morning give yourself to Him, pray to Him. You can say simply, Lord Jesus, I am tired of being a slave to sin. Father, I am sick to death of the bondage. And I no longer want to walk in my failures. I want to come into your presence. The presence of truth and light. Of freedom, Lord. So I confess my need for you and I ask that you would enter my heart today. As the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God, forgiving my sins, washing me clean, and starting me this day on a new path, walking with you. And may I simply learn to follow you as my Lord. I want to pray one more thing. If you are a Christian and you've been walking in, in Christ and yet you feel like your life is being overcome by some entanglement some sin that you can't seem to be free of I want to remind you this morning Christ died to set you free and perhaps you just need to pray these words to him Jesus 
I pray that you would grab hold of my attention. That you would fix my eyes on you. That I would stop walking in sin. Stop choosing the destructive path. Jesus, help me to return to you today. I repent of all these things. I don't want these things in my life. I want to walk in the house as a son, as your child. Lord, forgive me and set my heart right today. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have the band come on back up here for one more song.